Tell me, how many of you like to receive bad news? I'm so glad to hear that because if you wanted bad news, you know, I could give you some. Yeah. I could give you some. But I'm glad to hear that none of you like it. Like when your child comes home from school and says to you, I got good news and I got bad news. And you kind of know, well, that day they were supposed to write a test or a project or something. And yeah. So you always start with the good news. Well, let's get the good news out of the way. Well, we do it the other way around, don't we? Now, sometimes they come home and they say, I've got bad news and I've got bad news. Have you had that one? I mean, how bad is bad? Can they be better than bad? Well, it depends how long they stretch out that wall, isn't it? There's bad and there's bad. And if they drop the tone, it's bad. It's even worse. It's even worse. But every now and again, you might get, you might get, you might get some good news and I've got great news. You might just get them coming home like that one day and saying, hey, I've got good news and I've got great news. And I think that that's the type of news, that's the type of person that Isaiah was speaking about in chapter 52 where he said, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah must have been talking about this type of good news, great news messenger person when he wrote this because good news is, well, it's good, isn't it? It's good. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. It's hopeful. Now, for those of us who are 40 plus years old, we'll remember Kevin Costner. Some of us will remember him and the younger ones might not. But in 1997, Kevin Costner starred in a movie entitled The Postman. Maybe you watched it, maybe you didn't. It was set in post apocalyptic America where there was no central government hopelessness and lawlessness prevailed during his travels in the movie he comes across the dead body of a US government postman and he dons the uniform and he takes the bag and he sets off to the nearest town in the hope to disguise himself from those people who were pursuing him as he enters the town the townsfolk recognize the uniform and bag and believe that he is an official government employee. They believe that because the most simplest of communication channels of the government were still operational, that somehow maybe the government had in fact not yet collapsed. And that as a result, hope was not lost. That was the sentiment in the movie. The postman represented hope. The postman represented hope, which in turn resulted in the people banding together in pursuit of finding and revitalizing their government. Friends, we are in the third week of Advent, and if this is the first time that you are hearing this word outside of a Christmas shopping experience, and think of an Advent calendar. The word Advent is Latin and means coming. In particular, it has reference to both the first coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus, as it happened on the first Christmas day, Christmas night over 2,000 years ago. And then secondly, and probably more importantly, it has reference to his anticipated second coming, his anticipated return sometime in the unknown and yet very near future, when all of human history will come to an end and only eternity will remain. That is what Advent's about. Now, as tradition has held, the first two Sundays of Advent are focused on Jesus' second coming, whilst the first two, the last two, before Christmas, are focused on the celebration of his first coming. And 
the Lord has led that. He's led the messages exactly like that this last few weeks. And so today we move yet closer and closer to the celebration of Jesus' birth as we look at the first unlikely messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ's birth. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 8. Let's read together. Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Just so far, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for the revelation of yourself and your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for the message of hope that comes from your word. May you bless this word now, Father God, to our hearts, to our minds, transform us, equip us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this, this, this passage in Luke is probably the most Christmassy biblical text that has been written about the birth of Jesus. Probably the most Christmassy text. Because if you read Matthew, he goes from the birth of Jesus, cutting out nearly a year, to when the Magi visit. He goes from a brief birth description to the Magi. Cuts out a year. That's Matthew. Mark, Mark cuts out 30 whole years of Jesus' life. Doesn't even start with the birth of Jesus, goes straight into his ministry. And then if you read John, and John, the, the Gospel of John, it's, it's most theologically sound, but if you go and read it, I confess, when you go and read it, it comes across a little bit weird sometimes. It's not an easy book to read, those beginning verses. It needs a lot of explanation. Now, what we need to understand is that even though these, these are different, Each book had a particular nuance that it wanted to express and to communicate to its readers at that time. And so that's why you get the difference. But Luke, Luke is the most Christmassy out of the four recorded Gospels. Luke's is the one that has the nice, neat account of the events leading up to and including Jesus' birth. And this is where this text fits into the whole of the biblical record. 
Several prophecies recorded in the Old Testament, one read today, coming to bear and fulfillment in this time. Now, even though the gospel record is centered around the life of Jesus and his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, the main characters in this portion of Scripture are the two sets of messengers. One of them majestic, and the other one not so majestic. It's to these unmajestic, unlikely shepherd messengers that I'm going to focus the message today. Why unlikely? Why unlikely messengers? Well, you need to realize... You need to understand that whilst the Bible has an overall high view of shepherds and shepherding, you need to, you need to grasp this truth. The, the Bible has an overall high view of shepherds as well as shepherding. Jesus himself is called the good shepherd, the great shepherd, as well as the chief shepherd. But what you need to understand is by the time of Jesus' birth, shepherding and shepherds among the nations of the world had lost much of their social standing. The Greeks, in fact, now the Greeks would make up a large part of the people, the Gentile peoples to whom Paul and the other first century early church missionaries and church planters would have targeted. There would have been Greeks. Okay, the church to Macedonia, that's Greece. So a large portion is going to be the Greeks. The Greeks said this, shepherds were of the lowliest of social order persons in their community. In fact, Aristotle said this, and Aristotle died in 322 BC. So this is a long time before Jesus' birth. Aristotle said this. He said that among the people, the laziest are shepherds. 300 years plus before Jesus' birth, the social standing amongst the nations of the world of shepherds and shepherding is very low. Philo, a Hellenistic Jewish philosopher of Alexandria, who was born in 25 BC, so born before Jesus, wrote that shepherding was held mean and inglorious. Okay, 300 years later, they still haven't improved their social identity. Let us not forget about the Egyptians in Genesis. What did they say about the, shepherd, the shepherds? They said that they were an abomination, detestable. So to the nations of the world, shepherds were not held in high regard. To the Israelites and even the Jews of Jesus' time, shepherds, may have the most, one of the most uncomfortable vocations to earn a living from. But those that were trustworthy were at least held in high regard by their fellow countrymen, more than what the Gentiles of the day would have held them to be. So to the elitist Gentile nations of the world, shepherds were simply not the most fitting messengers, especially to carry a message of such great import as the salvation of the world. Now add to that, that although owning flocks tended to be an indicator of wealth, when it came to the task of shepherding, there were owner shepherds and there were hireling shepherds. Because of this, shepherds, whether owners or hirelings, shepherds were made up of different kinds of peoples with differing levels of economic or social standing. Put differently, a group of shepherds tended to be both racially as well as socially diverse. Shepherds were racially and socially diverse. On the night of the great angelic announcement of Jesus' birth, the shepherds tending those flocks that night could have been either wealthy owners themselves or they could have been poor hirelings. We don't know. We don't know what their social standing was. But their wealth 
or the lack thereof was not the chief reason for the selection to be the first messengers. That wasn't the reason. Rather, the diversity was. The diversity was. The fulfillment of divine prophecy that was good news of great joy for all the people of the world. This message was announced to the most socially and racially diverse people whose vocation was viewed as either esteemed by some or detestable by others. The shepherds were indeed quite the unlikeliest of messengers to be chosen. And yet there is still more to what seems to the world to be unlikely messengers. You see, like the fisherman disciple of Jesus, Jesus, like the fisherman disciple of Jesus, who were considered to be unschooled ordinary men, shepherds have been likewise regarded. And what we tend to do as modern day readers is we tend to apply our way of life onto their way of life. And we read into their context. Believing that unschooled somehow means unreligious. But Peter showed this to be invalid. Peter showed this to be invalid in Acts chapter 10. Because he showed clearly that he knew exactly what was permissible by the law of Moses to eat and not to eat. He says in Acts chapter 10, Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Never, Peter said. Never. That means never as a child, never as a teenager, and never as an adult. Peter was not ignorant of his religion, and neither do I believe that the Jewish shepherds would have been too. I would contend. I would contend that were there, were there non-religious, non-Jewish hirelings among those first recipients, were there non-Jewish hirelings Hearing that angelic announcement, I believe that the Jewish shepherds among them would have begun the explanation of the law of the prophets then already. Then already. Much like Philip on the road and he speaks to the Ethiopian eunuch and he says, do you know what you're reading? Reading about this very same passages. Philip explains. So I believe that had there been non-Jewish Hirelings amongst those shepherds that night, hearing that angelic announcement, I believe that the Jewish shepherds would have then already begun the gospel message sharing and would have started drawing in the law and the prophets and telling them what this angelic announcement was all about. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. The historical reality is that in contrast to modern Western culture, because remember, we read into it, in contrast to modern Western culture, everyone in Jesus' day was religious. Everyone. It was a part of who they were. It wasn't something that they, you were born up at day eight, chop, chop. You know? Religion became a part of you in a very real and tangible way. And you grew up about that reminder when you got circumcised. It was a part of their life. Everyone was religious. They were unschooled, not unreligious. And yet to a world of people who have held intellectualism to near idolatrous status since as early as 600 BC, unschooled shepherds were not the first choice type of messengers 
to be tossed to share the good news of salvation to the world. Can there be more? Can there be more to add to this growing characterizing of being unprobable, unlikely messengers? Yes, they can. They can. For it is said that when with them, with the shepherds being out in the field for many months at a time, they were somewhat outside of the governance systems of the lands that they inhabited. And therefore, in their own way, they were able to know if the system of the land or the city or the town, whether that system, whether it was foreign or local, political or religious, they were able into their own way know whether that system was just or unjust. The shepherds living outside of the normal goings-on of an institutionalized way of life would readily be able to know if the system that they were entering into was hypocritical or not. It is to this type of people, it is to this type of unlikely people that God sends his angel announcing the birth of the Messiah, the just king expected by Israel, extolling titles upon the child attributed to the Roman emperor, Lord, Savior, bringer of peace. Those are the titles that were given to Caesar Augustus, the bringer of peace being the core title upon which the others depended. This will be a sign to you, the angels declares. And in so doing, the angel dispatches the shepherds to make the first judgment about who the real saviour is. Is it the emperor in Rome? Or a baby sleeping in a feeding trough? The shepherds go and they make their judgment. And so the story begins. So the story begins. Making the shepherds becoming the first of the most unlikely messengers of the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, I share this with you because I need you to grasp. I need you to grasp that God's choice of using the shepherds to be the first human messengers of the good news of Jesus' birth was infinitely strategic. It was infinitely strategic in his purpose of evangelizing the world. And this is of great importance to you and to I. Because it means that none of us are left out of the privilege of being an unlikely messenger of God's grace. I want you to hear that again. None of us have been left out of being an unlikely messenger of God's grace. None of us. The shepherds represented a people who were economically, socially, and racially diverse. A perfect representation of an economically, socially, and racially diverse humanity. Good news of great joy for all the peoples. None have been left out to receive the good news. And none have been left out to proclaim the good news. This means that regardless of your own economic or social status, and regardless of your own ethnic heritage, you have been given the task of being the unlikely messenger of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to go make disciples of all nations, not some nations, all nations. Not some people, but all people. Not the religious or social elites, but all people. Some may esteem you, others may demean you. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because those who consider themselves first will be lost. And those who consider themselves great will be least. The message of salvation is for you. It is for you to receive and to repeat. If you go back, if you go back into that re- uh, and read that gospel record carefully again, you will see that the social and religious elite of the day were not part of the birth arrival mailing list. They didn't get the invitation. There were shepherds and wise men, but there were no kings or priests. There were everyday, ordinary, normal people, as well as exceptional and talented people. There were locals from nearby and there were foreigners from afar. But there were no kings or priests. No mayors, no councillors, no politicians, no governors. No Sunday preachers. No synagogue leaders. Only some shepherds and some magi and a poor girl and a carpenter husband. That's who was there that night. God says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Paul writes and he says, beloved, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him that is God and Jesus. Friends, the message of salvation is for everyone. It is for all. It is for you to receive and to repeat. If you look from verse 16 onwards, you'll see how you are to respond. First, the shepherds hurried. Verse 16, it says they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They hurried to go see if what the angel had said was true. But yes, some truth. Too many people hear the gospel good news message of Jesus and think, oh, that's very interesting. Let me give it some thought. I'll get back to you later. Too many people hear the gospel good news message of Jesus, but they don't hurry. They don't hurry to the manger to check it out for themselves. Too many people hear the gospel good news message of Jesus and think that there is time to spare for another day. When God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You don't know. You don't know. There's no time to wait. To delay is to pay. To delay is to pay. And the cost of that payment could be the very forfeiting of your soul. Friends, I say to you, hurry. Hurry. If you're listening to this, hurry. Hurry to the salvation from our Lord and go see for yourselves the sign that is for you. A baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. In 12 days' time. Hurry and come see. Second, they did not hesitate to tell others. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. Now again, 
Too many people don't spread the good news enough. Too many people fear the possible rejection and ridicule. And as a result, they shy away from telling others about Jesus. What you need to realize, though, is that the shepherds were not telling others outside of their sphere of influence. The shepherds were not telling others outside of their sphere of influence. But rather they were telling contemporaries, like themselves. Others that formed part of a socially and racially diverse community. You see, Bethlehem was a highly strategic town. It was very strategic because it supplied Jerusalem with sweet water. And as a result, the town has always throughout its history been militarized. Always been militarized. As was the custom of the day of militaries throughout history. Wherever, where, wherever they went and they conquered lands, they would conscript the locals by force and they would ship them to other parts of the empire to be stationed to protect strategic locations. Standard practice. If you got invaded, you got attacked, you got shipped off. And if you lived, luckily, long enough and didn't die on the front lines of someone else's, defending someone else's property, maybe you'd make it back. That was the reality of the ancient world. As we sit in our comfort, let us remember that. That is what happened. And so, so, so Bethlehem was militarized. Okay? It was normal for armies of countries to have many soldiers not a part of the citizenship of that actual country itself. Within the town of Bethlehem, there would have been such old soldiers as well as slaves. People to whom the shepherds could relate. It is to these people that they unashamedly and passionately spread the gospel. It is to these people, the same as themselves, that they went and told others. To the kings of the world, to those outside the shepherd's influence and picking order, God would send others. God would send others to go tell, such as the wise men, such as Paul. God said to him very clearly, I've called you to preach to kings and to, pre- to kings. God is not expecting you to go beyond your ability to reach. He's not expecting that. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Talk to your friends. Talk to your colleagues, people who journey with you. Why are you celebrating Christmas? Well, the angels came. But first, as I prophesied, but before they belong, prophesied. Share the good news. Share the good news. They did not hesitate. Hurried for themselves to confirm for themselves. They told all about Jesus as they then thirdly honored God on their way back to the fields. Verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The proper response from us when we hear the gospel good news of Jesus is to first hurry and confirm for ourselves. The second is not hesitate in telling others. And the third is to be praising God together all the days of our lives. Notice that the shepherds, plural, shepherds, plural, returned together, glorifying and praising God together. Christian living is done in community, not in isolation. Not in isolation. Yes, COVID has made isolation a reality for many. It has. But that is the exception rather than the norm. 
It's the exception rather than the norm. People are being forced to be isolated. And I know because I've spoken to them that if they could have the slightest opportunity to be safe in their worship, they would be back in this community in the flash of a heartbeat. COVID has forced people into isolation, but that is not the norm. It is the exception to the norm. The problem comes when those that don't have to be isolated choose to isolate themselves. And that's dangerous. Because to isolate is to insulate. Not letting others in and not letting yourself out to express full and proper honor to God. Hurry. Don't hesitate. Honor God. Now it bewilders me to see how those whom the shepherds told, it bewilders me to see how they responded. In verse 18, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. That sounds promising, doesn't it? The shepherds go, they hear the, the angelic message, they go, they talk to each other, they come and see the baby Jesus. They then go and they start telling everyone. And as they're telling everyone, the people are amazed. And as they leave, after telling everyone, they continue out in the field, glorifying and praising God. Those people were amazed. It looks promising. But I want you to notice something. They didn't hurry to go see for themselves. They were amazed. But Luke doesn't record others seeking out the manger. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Maybe Luke just didn't think it was necessary to record that. Or maybe there was in fact nothing to record. But friends, doesn't it resonate today still? That even though the gospel good news message of Jesus can be shared with others, with them receiving it with amazement, doesn't it resonate still today? Them failing to respond to it. They didn't hurry to go see for themselves. They didn't substantiate and share for themselves. They didn't honor God for themselves. And they were there. They were right there. In the very same town, on the very same night, at the very heart of the story of redemption, only to be momentarily amazed and then to forget about it. Does that not resonate with the world today? People can hear and respond with amazement and still not hurry, still hesitate to tell, and still not give due honor to God. Hurry. Hurry. Hurry to be saved. Hurry to be saved yourselves. Do not hesitate in hurrying to tell others. And then hurry to honor God with praise and worship together in community. Not long ago, a professor of psychology in one of the great universities gave a word suggestion study or test to his class of 40 students. He instructed them to write the word Christmas down. And they all did that. Then afterwards he said to them, okay, now after the word Christmas, I want you to write the first word that comes to your mind. Which they did. When all the papers were handed in, the following answers were given. Christmas tree. Christmas holly. Christmas mistletoe. 
Christmas presents, Christmas turkey, Christmas holiday carols, Santa Claus. No one had written the birthday of Jesus. No one had written the birthday of Jesus. In a world saturated, saturated with hopelessness, deflating the souls of the lost, God has chosen the most unlikely of people, you and I, to be the messengers of hope. God's not dead, and the kingdom's not collapsed. And in the manger lies the favor of God for all mankind. Do not hesitate or wait, but rush and go tell. A Savior has been born to you, to you, to you, and even to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as Christmas draws near, as Christmas draws near and we write down those words on those cards in our hearts and in our minds, let us who are saved and redeemed write down the right answer. I know, Father God, that many of us do. So it is to the converted that I'm preaching. And I get that. But it is to the converted who reaches an unconverted, unsaved world. To whom they can minister. In their own special way, Father God. We're not asking them to stand on soapboxes and preach in the streets. We're not asking them to leave their jobs and cross land and sea to go make disciples. But just as you said to us, as you are going, make disciples. As you live your life, make disciples. And so, Father God, this message, this message is for all people. It is good news for all people that Jesus Christ has come. He's come to save every single one of us. And we who are saved rejoice in that. Help us, give us the courage to share that. And draw sons and daughters into the kingdom. For soon we will be singing and reminiscing on those words. For unto us tonight a child is born. And on him is given. The government rests on his shoulders. For your glory's sake and in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Receive now the blessing of God. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Be blessed and we will see you next week. Thank you.